We're starting a series entitled The Hard Sayings of Jesus in preparation, in preparation for Easter. There was an article that came out uh, several years ago. The title of the article was Things I Wish Jesus Never Said. You know, Jesus said some really hard things. Jesus said some really difficult, challenging things. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about some of these hard things. Uh, next week, Pastor Glenn is going to speak on cut your hand off, poke your eye out. When do you want to hear that one? <laughs> Jesus said that. Jesus said that. Uh, and then uh, the, the following week, I'm going to be talking about uh, eat my flesh, drink my blood. How about that one? Eat my flesh, drink my blood. That's, that's a hard saying of Jesus. And then we talk about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. How many of you ever heard anyone talk about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the unforgivable or unpardonable sin? We're going to be talking about that. And then uh, to this morning, I'm going to talk to you about Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only way. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, we're going to read verses 1 through 6 in the English Standard Version. And if you could do this with me, if you could stand together in the honor of reading God's Word. John chapter 14, beginning with verse number 1. And Jesus said, Jesus said this, Jesus said this, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, no, and if you got an old King James version there, the old Jimmy, old King Jimmy version, it says in my Father's house are many mansions. Now we like the concept of mansion just over on the other side. That's kind of a, in our theology, but really the concept there is dwelling places or rooms. If it were not so, what have I not told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas, the one who asked, all, who asked the difficult questions, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And then Jesus said to him, verse number six. I want everyone to read this with me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This morning I want to talk to you on the topic. Jesus meant it when he said, I am the only way. Jesus meant it. When he said, I'm the only way. Next Sunday is daylight savings time, if you don't know. And so I'm going to pray for you today to be on time for next Sunday. That's my prayer, my prayer point this morning. And my prayers report is that the Magic, the Orlando Tragic, I mean the Orlando Magic, have won two games in a row. So we got something to pray for and something to give God praise this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your grace. Thank you for the kindness that you've demonstrated already in our time of worship. We've encountered your presence. We love you. We thank you for that overflow of your spirit. Now open our ears to hear. Jesus, not my words, but your words. Lord, for every person in this room, Lord, they'll hear clearly what you have to say. Speak to us today. Lord, thank you. Thank you that next Sunday we're going to be on time. Daylight savings time. Lord, we praise you today. We praise you today that Orlando Magic have won two games in a row. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. 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 You may be seated this morning. There was a book written many years ago entitled The Hard Sayings of Jesus. The author was F.F. Bruce. He's a famous Christian scholar. You can Google him and read more about him. He wrote many, many books. He actually listed over 70 things that Jesus said that are very difficult. They're very difficult. They're very, uh, many times the things that Jesus said were difficult, literally. 
Jesus would say things, and uh, because we are 2,000 remo- years removed, culture, place, time, space, they're hard for us to understand. They're just, we don't have enough context or background to what Jesus was saying. Uh, many times because of, because of Jesus being a Jewish culture. We don't really understand the Jewish culture. We've grown up in a Gentile culture. We're 2,000 years removed. It's difficult to understand the literal words of Jesus. But many times Jesus said things, uh, scholars call it hyperbole. You know, hyperbole means you, you kind of say something tongue-in-cheek. You, use, you say something to exaggerate a truth. Jesus spoke hyperbolically, like when Jesus said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. It's a metaphor. And metaphors can be difficult. They can be hard to understand. But sometimes Jesus said stuff that was hard to live. They were hard to understand. They weren't, it wasn't hard to understand what he was saying. It was just practically hard to live what Jesus was saying. So why did Jesus do this? Why did Jesus say some really hard and difficult things? Why did he do that? First of all, Jesus said things in a shocking manner to grab people's attention. We have a president that likes to say things in a shocking manner to grab people's attention. You understand that? You understand he says some really hard things, but he gets everybody's attention. He grabs his attention. And Jesus said some really challenging things. In a politically correct culture, Jesus was not very politically correct. He said some really challenging things. But Jesus also said hard things to conceal the truth of the kingdom of God from scoffers, people who didn't believe. And then Jesus also said hard things because he wanted a seeker's to dive in deeper. Jesus said, if you seek me, you will find me. Jesus in John chapter 6, he's talking to his disciples about the reality of who he is. Talking about his physical body and talking about the blood that he was going to shed on Calvary's tree. And in John chapter 6, verse number 60, the Bible says, on hearing this, hearing Jesus teaching about flesh and blood, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. This is hard. Who can accept it or who can understand it? And then John 6, 66 says this. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Jesus said some shocking things. And after he said them, there were people who walked away. Uh, What I'm talking to you about this morning, Jesus meant it when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. is shocking to a culture that's politically correct. But believes in pluralism, that that the highest goal is that everyone has their own opinion, and we agree with that. It's our constitutional right, freedom of expression, of worship. We can believe anything that we want to believe. We can say just about anything that we want to say. The fact is we can believe and say what we want to say, but it doesn't mean that it's right. It doesn't mean that it's true. They were hard sayings. Here's the deal. We can't understand many of the sayings of Jesus without his Holy Spirit. This is what happens. You don't know Christ. You're far from God. You hear something. You hear a truth about the gospel. Many times there's a kind of something that rises up. Ah, I don't believe that. I don't, I, don't, I don't believe that. But when the Holy Spirit comes in you at new birth, when you receive Jesus at new birth, all of a sudden things that you never understood before. I remember uh, as a young man trying to read the Bible. I had a period I, I was really strung out and having a very difficult time. And I was trying to read the Bible, and it wasn't making any sense to me. But then I became a believer. When I gave my life to Christ, all of a sudden, although I didn't understand everything, there was an illumination. Things that never made sense before all of a sudden made sense to me. 
I never understood the Father's love. I never un- really understood a Father that loved. And all of a sudden, when I became born again, I read the Scriptures. I, I saw the love of God. Paul said it like this to the church at Corinthian. He said, he said, for the Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thought. You don't know what I'm thinking. You don't know what I'm thinking. We, we assume, we, we look at someone's face, and we think we know what they're thinking. But, you know, it's like most guys, the wife asks their husband what they're thinking, and, and they think that he's thinking about, you know, that one thing that they wanted, men always want to do with their wives. And, and, and matter of fact, he's thinking about nothing. Just the brain is just kind of not even there. But no one knows a person's thought except that a person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thought except God's own spirit. Let's go to the next verse. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things that God has freely given to us. We can know today. We can know the hard sayings of Jesus. We can not only know them intellectually, but we can also understand them spiritually. We can walk out the things that God has in store for us. The context of our story in John chapter 14 is found in John chapter 13. Actually, it begins. From John chapter 13 through John chapter 17, this is called the Discourse of Jesus. It was actually the last, this portion from John chapter 13 to the end of the book, end of the chapter, is the last two or three days of Jesus' life. But John chapter 13 through John chapter 17, it's a 24-hour period. It's one 24-hour period of time. And Jesus is downloading into his best friends. Jesus is talking to them. He's sharing with them some very challenging and difficult things. It's Passover. It's Passover. It's a time where Jews from all over the world would come to Jerusalem to worship God, to bring their gifts, to offer their sacrifices for the penalty of their sin, of a lamb or a goat or some kind of, a, some kind of dove. Or they would offer a sacrifice, and Jews from all over the world would come to offer to God a sacrifice. It's Passover season, and Jesus is downloading into his disciples. He's talking to them about some really challenging things. His ministry was almost over. His life on planet Earth, as we know it, as a human being, was coming to an end. You see, Jesus said challenging things because Jesus wanted to challenge the religious establishment of his day. Corruption. Political corruption, religious corruption. Jesus would say things that would shake people. Jesus would confront sin and unbelief in a wicked generation. But Jesus would also show his deepest heart of compassion for the less desirable, the needy, and the poor. Everywhere that Jesus went, there was revival or there was a revolution. People loved Jesus or people hated Jesus. As a matter of fact, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 20. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus came to give his life for you and for me. He came to give his life. These final days of Jesus' life, this final day, when Jesus began to tell his disciples, really stirred them up. They became greatly agitated. Because Jesus told them three things. Jesus said, I'm going to die. The Jesus party, the Jesus train was about to come to an end. 
I mean, they had rode high with Jesus. They'd go into towns and communities and miracles and multitudes of people would come out. They saw Jesus do incredible things. But not only did they see Jesus do incredible things, Jesus anointed them and told them to go out and to do the same things. They saw people healed by their own hands, their own faith in God. They saw miracles. They saw God do incredible things. And this party was about to come to an end. Jesus was going to die. They didn't understand what was going to happen. Jesus was trying to download into them what their future was going to look like. But not only did Jesus say that he was going to die, Jesus predicted that one of them, a man by the name of Judas, would betray him. One of them would be a betrayer. One of them who had, for three years, had been with Christ, saw the miracles, heard the teachings, was part of the ministry team that would go out and serve the community. His name was Judas. He was a thief. He stole money right from the coffers, right from the ministry coffers. He stole money. And Jesus said one of them would betray him. And then Jesus turned to Peter. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Peter, you're going to deny me. Not only just once, you're going to deny me three times. You can see there's this agitation. There's, their hearts are greatly troubled. What do you do? What do you do in your life when things are getting difficult and challenging? When you're going through problems and experiencing circumstances that are difficult for you to comprehend and understand. That's where we find ourselves in John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse number 1. Jesus gives them this promise. Jesus gives them this promise of hope for a troubled heart. Look what he says here. Let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. You know why our hearts don't have to be troubled today? Because of who we know. Because of who we know. We know God today. We know God today. You know, I, I've thought about this, the troubling emotions and feelings that we walk through many, many times. And in our culture today, we live in a victimization culture, and, and many people don't want to take responsibility for their actions or why they do certain things. They're born this way, or they inherit it from their parents, or, you know, they don't, they've never been taught. They want to take the blame and to push it off onto someone else. But God doesn't allow us to do that. God doesn't allow us to take our issues and try to put them onto someone else. We have to deal with our issues ourselves. Let me be real transparent. Thursday, kind of a tough day in my world. Just some things happen, conversations that happen, and, and, and I didn't say it the way that I really should have said it. End of the day, said some things that were not correct, said some things fairly harshly to another individual, and I felt so bad. I felt so convicted inside. Uh, the next morning, I was just, I woke up, and I was still carrying this tension inside, this troubled spirit and, and heart inside, and I just... And the person I had a conversation with, they texted me back. I texted them. I asked for forgiveness that night and tried to call, but they didn't take the call. And I'm like, oh, now they hate me. They're never going to talk to me again. And so I, I asked for forgiveness, and I apologized through text. And they didn't return my text. So now I'm thinking, you know what someone once said fear is? Fear is false evidence that appears real, right? And so I'm just, oh, man, this is not going to go well. And I get a text the next morning. I'm going to send you an email thinking about what I think in just a few minutes. I'm like, oh, this is, it's over now. My life's at an end. <laughs> that wasn't the case. That wasn't the case at all. But I was so disturbed inside. And so I, I got my phone, and I put my little earbuds in, and I started walking. I, I didn't walk for five minutes. I, and when I walk, I walk my neighborhood. I got this little routine down, and I do what they call power walk. You know what a power walk is? It's almost a run, but not quite a run. I don't want to commit that much to running, so... 
I'm power walking to the neighborhood, and I power walk five minutes. I power walk 10 minutes. I power walk 15 minutes. I power walk 20 minutes. I'm listening to my Bible, and, I, and I'm putting worship music on, and, and I'm starting to feel this pressure release. I'm starting to just feel this start to evaporate from my life. 20 minutes, 25 minutes, 30 minutes, 35 minutes, 40 minutes, 45 minutes, 50 minutes later, four miles, and 50 minutes later, I felt the burden finally lift. You know what happened? I realized that I had responsibility for my own emotions, that I had to work through it. Sometimes we just want to say a simple little prayer, and the wham, shazam, and it all takes, it's all gone. I actually had to work through it. I had to work through that issue, and I was able to, to have a conversation with a person. It went nothing like I thought. My worst imaginations and my worst fears never came to pass. Not at all. But see, isn't that the, the, what the enemy wants to do? He wants you to project into your future that it can't change, and it's, gonna just, it's just going to be a mess, and how is this going to get fixed? Ephesians chapter 5, Paul the apostle tells the church at Ephesus, he said, listen, when you're going through difficulties and trials and challenges, don't go out and get drunk. Don't go to the bar. Don't get drunk. Don't smoke dope and be a dope. I mean, just don't do that. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father through everything. We have a choice today. So not only is it who we know, we have a choice in our emotions. We also have to believe. Everyone say believe. believe. We have to put our faith in him. Jesus said, believe in God, believe also in me. John 14, 1. Believe in God. It's not just a mental assent. This is a full trust Confidence, the word believe there is a, to fully trust, to put all your confidence in him. Put all your confidence in. Put your hope in him. Believe in God. Believe also in me. You know, a lot of people believe in God. You know the devil believes in God? Do you know that demons believe in God? And it has absolutely no positive outcome for their future. They believe that there's a God. They know. The Bible says they even tremble at the name of Jesus, but it won't change your life. See, you and I, today when we surrender our lives to Christ, we give him our lives. We put our belief, our trust, our confidence completely in him. That's why Paul the Apostle said, whatever you're walking through, whatever you're going through, know this, all things work together for good. For them that love God, it ain't always easy. Everyone say, it ain't always easy. But the will of God is always good for our life today. So we choose to put our confidence in him. So not only is it about who we know, but Jesus said, listen, you don't have to have your heart trouble because where you're about to go. Look at verse number two with me. Jesus said, in my father's house. In my father's house, there are many rooms, many dwelling places, many rooms. Now, the Old Testament uh, kind of gives us a, a picture of what Jesus was actually talking about here and in the Abrahamic times, the times of the Old Testament, they were, they were Begdoins. They, they, were, they were men who were sheep herders and ranchers, and, and they would build these tents for their families to live in. And one of their sons would go out and get married and get a wife. He would bring his wife back, and they would just add another tent onto the father's house. Add another tent. In my father's house are many rooms, many dwelling places. God is preparing a place for you and I today. God has promised there is the Father's house. 
There is the Father's house. There is a place where God dwells today. There is a place where Jesus, after he died on the cross and rose from the dead, the Bible says that Jesus ascended into heaven. And there he is seated at the right hand of the Father praying for us. There's a place called heaven. 532 times in the Bible, heaven is described. Heaven is real. Heaven is a place that God has prepared for those who are prepared. God has created a place for you and I. The place called heaven. God promised them. God told them. The Bible says that one day, one day when we breathe our last breath, or if Jesus comes again for the coming of the church, when Jesus comes again, or we breathe our last breath, in that very moment we will be taken into the very presence of God. Poof. He's gone to prepare a place for you and I. It's a promise. I will come again. I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. He's preparing a place for the redeemed. He's preparing a place for those who put their faith in him. This is so important. This is so important because we're about ready to step into this next, the big problem. The big problem that we have with the words of Jesus. He's preparing a place for those who put their confidence and trust in Christ alone. You know, Peter, 2,000 years ago, talked about the return of Christ. It was, made, it was the hope of the church. 2,000 years ago, after Christ filled his, his disciples with his Holy Spirit, he ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit comes. The hope of the church was the return of Jesus. Peter, 2,000 years ago, says, listen, people are going to scoff. They're not going to believe. They're going to actually say, where is the promise of his coming? It's always been like this. It's always been like this. Do not people say that today? When you talk about the return of Christ, when you talk about heaven, when you talk about eternity, when you talk about Jesus coming again, most people are like, what are you talking about? It's always been like this. It's always been like this. And then Peter says these words. The Lord isn't really slow about his promise to come again, as some people think. No, no, no. He's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to perish or be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent and come to a knowledge of his son, Jesus. 2,000 years later, it's the blessed hope of the church. The hope of the church is the return of Christ. The Bible says, but he's only coming for those who are looking and awaiting his appearing. It's our hope today. It's why we can have hope that no matter what we're walking through, this world is not a home. We're just a pilgrim passing through. Someone said amen this morning. This is the mercy of God. Jesus hasn't come. Jesus hasn't returned yet. Jesus hasn't returned for his church yet because of my neighbor Tim. Because of my neighbor Tim. Tim is a nice man. Tim's a dad of two kids. Tim knows about God, would even say that he believes in God, but he's never had an encounter with God. Over the last several months, he's gone through a period of unemployment, and he was laid off from his job. And over the last several months, the door has been opened to me to talk to him about a relationship with Christ. I see him almost every day. I tell him I'm praying for him. He expresses gratitude and thanksgiving, and, and, I, and I realize that the reason that Jesus hasn't come back yet because Tim doesn't know that Jesus is the only way to life. 
He knows about them, but he hasn't experienced the transforming power of a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason that Jesus hasn't come again is because you got a neighbor. you got a family member. you got a loved one. God's not willing. God is not willing that anyone should perish, but that all would come to a knowledge of his son, Jesus. Jesus loves people. Not only does he love you, but he loves the world. Jesus comes to give us life and to give it to us more abundantly. So there's a place called heaven. There's a place called heaven. You know, in our culture today, many Christians, many, just many people in our culture today, they, they might believe in God. Some people don't believe in God. Um, supposedly, 27% of Americans say they don't believe in God. There's a kind of a nothingism, like what happens after life? What happens when you die? 27% of Americans compl- com- believe, say they believe in nothing after death. I, I don't believe that, but that's what people say. And there's another group of people that believe in anything in this you know, they just, everything goes. All religions are good. All paths lead to God, same place. As a matter of fact, most people in our culture actually believe this. Most people in our culture believe this philosophy. It's kind of like, you know, it's a spoke, uh, it's like the, the wheel on a tire, or a wheel on a bicycle, and all the spokes that lead to the same place. The problem is, is that God doesn't allow us, God doesn't allow us to have that option. That's not what God says. That's not what the Lord has said. And then there's this this idea that many people have even inside of the church. My way is good for me, but not necessarily for you. I believe in Jesus. He's good for me, but, you know, I I don't know. Maybe, Maybe there's another way for you. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. Jesus didn't leave us any wiggle room. He didn't leave us any wiggle room. I didn't write this. I'm just simply the reporter. I'm simply telling you what God's word says. Acts chapter 4, after Jesus had risen from the dead, after Jesus had anointed Peter and the disciples to go out and preach the gospel, Acts chapter 4, Peter says this, For Jesus is the one referred to in the scripture where it said, There is salvation, forgiveness of sin, promise of heaven. There is salvation in no one else. God has given us no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Wow. Strong. Hard. Hard sayings of Jesus. We're people of compassion. How could a just God send people to hell? It's the great question of our generation. If there is a God and he created people in his image and he really loves them, how could he send them to hell? And I tell people, God doesn't send people to hell. People make a choice to reject God. People, I have sat in services. I have preached the gospel to countless people over 30 years. And I've seen people walk out the doors refusing to believe in God. Refusing to accept Christ. They make a choice. They choose. It's why we have this ministry of reconciliation that's been given to us. Some of us have believed the lie that people without God are fulfilled and happy. I don't know everyone's personal life. I know there are many people that have carved a life and created a life without God. But the fact is if they don't serve him, they don't have the promise of eternal life. They might, they might make a difference in this world, but there's something still inside of them that's trying to attain and work for it on their own. 
I, I was listening to a pastor this week, and he was talking about his small group. And if you're not in a small group here at City Church, you need to get into a small group. Where I think we're in week number five. Our small group is Marriage on the Rock, and we had a great time this last week. But uh, he was talking about his small group, and he said, you know, my small group, I've got a, uh, some Christ followers in there. But there's a couple of people that aren't Christ followers in my group. One guy is agnostic, and he, he likes the group. He likes me, and so he comes, and we have good discussion about the Bible and about Christ. And so there's another girl in my group who's a Japanese student, and she, he, he said that uh, she's been coming about four or five months, and she hardly ever talks. He said, and we were talking about this passage, John 14, 6. We, so we were talking about this passage, but Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And, and the guy, the agnostic guy, spoke and said, ah, come on. I mean, how can you think that you're, I mean, you're that's so narrow-minded. That's so, that, you're, you're, you're so bigoted to think that your way is the only way. He said, look at this girl right here, this Japanese girl. I mean, come on, she's happy. She, she's a Buddhist. 97% of the people in Japan are Buddhists, and she's happy. He said, this girl had hardly ever spoken in his small group. In his small group. He said, but when this man said that she was happy, she spoke up and said, don't say that I'm happy. You don't know me. She said, I'm a Buddhist. She said, 97% of the people in my country are Buddhists, and we have thousands of gods, and we have all these rules and all these regulations, and I can't figure it out, and I'm not happy. Who are you to tell me that I'm happy? The fact is, it isn't about happiness today. It's about a transformed life. But there's something that happens when Christ comes into our heart and he changes his life. The Bible says that the kingdom of God that comes and lives with us brings us into right standing, right standing, joy, and peace by the power of his spirit. Today, Jesus has come to transform our lives. Lee Strobel, in his book, The Case for Christ, states, Now there is some common ground between many of the world religions. We recognize that there's some common ground. That every religion in the world, Islam, Buddhism, whatever the, whatever the faith is, Judaism, there's some common ground between many of the world religions. But there are significant differences, too. In fact, with this one outlandish assert- uh, assertion, Jesus boldly puts Christianity in a separate class by itself. If the path of God, if the path of God is through Jesus, then Christianity cannot be reconciled with any other religion. It's the uniqueness of Christianity, and it's rooted in the uniqueness of Jesus himself. It's not easy. It's the hard saying of Jesus. It makes people squirm. It makes people frustrated. God has a big plan. God had a big plan. Jesus said to them, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am. He's a unique Savior. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I didn't say this. Jesus said this. But I believe it with all my heart. I believe today that no matter how good a person who follows Islam is, Muhammad could never save. I believe that no matter how good and how upstanding a citizen a a Buddhist is, Buddha can never save you. I believe no matter how good and how nice a person who is an atheist is, their nothingism can never save them. I believe with all my heart that Jesus, this unique Savior, is the way, the only way. One door. It's a narrow door. One door, one narrow door. He is the way. He is truth. We're looking for truth. We're looking for truth. We want truth. My son, my oldest son, Austin, when he was a little baby, got jaundice. 
And, uh, you know, they get jaundice, they turn yellow, their eyes turn yellow. When you're a parent, you're firstborn, you're like freaking out, right? We're freaking out, and we're calling the doctor, and we're rushing them to the hospital. And, and we get to the hospital, and the doctor says, you know, it's, it, it could be a serious problem, but if you just do this, if you just take your child home, and you got one of those little heat lamps in your bathroom. I don't know if we even have those anymore. We used to have a heat lamp in our bathroom, and you get under this light, and you put your child under the light, and you just sit in the bathroom, that jaundice will go away. I could have done this. I said, you know, Doc, I know you got 12 years of medical experience. And, you know, but the FDA says, and this Google website over here says, and, you know, you guys are just in it for the money. You don't really want my kid healed. I don't believe that. I, I read on Google someplace that if I get some bleach water and wash my kid with bleach and take him home, and I'll get him, he'll turn all white again, and he'll get all back to normal color. I, I, <laughs> no, of course not. All I had to do was just follow the instructions to believe in the person who was telling me the truth. There is truth. There is truth. When you go to the medical doctor, you want him telling you the truth, right? Truth. And I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father. He's alive. Jesus said the thief has come to kill, steal, and to destroy. But I've come to give you life and give it to you more abundantly. He's a unique Savior plan. John chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. John speaking of the ministry of Jesus. John three sixteen. we all know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And then verse 17 says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. God did not send his son into this world to condemn the world, to save the world God wants to save you. You're here today because God loved you. You didn't choose God. God chose you. God loves people. God loves your neighbor today. God loves your family member. God loves the, the Buddhist person. God loves the person in Islam over in Iran, over in Iraq, over in Afghanistan. God loves the Buddhist in Japan or China, wherever they live. God loves the person who put, raises their fist and rejects him today. God loves people. That's why he sent Jesus. There's a unique plan that God has, I call it grace. I call it grace. It's the plan of grace. Titus chapter 3, the Bible says, When the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of the righteous things that we have done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing, the rebirth, and the renewal of the power of the Holy Spirit. All the religions of the world, Every religion of the world is about doing. Do, do this, do this prayer, do this activity, do this thing, do, 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 do. Striving and struggling, crawling on their knees, doing all these kinds of things, hoping that they can find God. When Jesus hung on the cross 2,000 years ago, he simply declared, done, finished, it's complete. The pathway to God is through me alone. The power of transformation and a new life to experience a brand new life is found in me alone. It's done. You simply have to believe and receive. It's done. He did it for you today. I want you to close your eyes. So what do we do with this? I mean, they were, it was a tough time for the disciples. 
they literally had to trust the words of Jesus. Let not your heart be troubled. They had to trust the truth of his promises. That he knew their future. He had their best in mind. But not only that, Jesus, not only did he want them to trust him with his future, he wanted them to go out and to tell someone else. Today, that truth is inside of us. It does matter. It does matter today, not only what we believe, but what we tell others about Jesus. He loves them. He loves them. He came for them. He died for them. He rose from the dead so that they could have new life. Today, the Holy Spirit is speaking in this room. Some of you have had some wrong thinking about Jesus. You, some of you have just kind of had a my wayism, and God's asking you to repent and to embrace the truth of who He is. I'm not saying you don't know Christ. I'm not saying you never confess Christ. I'm just saying you've had some wrong belief about who Jesus really is. He hasn't afforded us the option to believe that there's another way. Jesus is a, is a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's the Lord of Lords, as C.S. Lewis once said. Some of us, I need, we need to repent. Some of us have never taken that next step. Some of us have never taken that next step to really believe in Christ for our salvation today the hope of heaven and the promise of eternal life. If you're in this room right now, there's no one looking and every head is bowed and every eye is closed. And you know your life isn't right with Jesus. You know you don't have an assurance of the promise of heaven in your heart. You're not sure of that today. You can be before you leave. In just a moment when I count to three, I'm going to have you raise your hand and we're going to say a prayer. If that's you today, you don't have the assurance and the promise of heaven in your heart when I count to three, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Come on, anyone in this room right now? See those hands. I see those hands. I see those hands today. Anyone else? God loves you today. God loves you today. Amen. I want everyone to say with us, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are the way. I thank you that you are the truth and you are the life. Come into my life. Come into my heart. Forgive me this day. Give me that assurance and that confidence that I'm forgiven. And my new life in you begins today in your wonderful name.